Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 460th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who helps make the hatching of backyard chickens easy and fun. We're talking with Pascal Pierce about egg incubation for beginners. A native of France, Pascal is a graduate of Bordeaux Business School, where she earned an MBA specializing in international trade. In 1994, in the UK, she started as Brinzi's export manager and joined Brinzia USA in 1998, shortly after its creation, where she was in charge of business development. Brinzia is a family-run business offering bird breeding and veterinarian products. Established in 1996 by an engineer with an interest in breeding birds, it quickly became a passion, which coupled with his background and enthusiasm has produced the most innovative egg incubators and brooders available. With 25 years experience in the breeding of birds and animal intensive care, Pascal enjoys sharing her knowledge of incubation with backyard breeders to make hatching and an enjoyable experience that they will want to repeat. Welcome to the show today, Pascal. Are you ready to rock hatching birds? Absolutely. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. Well, I mean, it started, you know, with on the business uh, angle of, uh, you know, international trade, and that's what brought me to the U.S., but, you know, how I became basically the ambassador for, you know, for Brinzi, the incubation specialist, you know, sharing about, you know, incubation and, and hatching eggs is, it became a passion, really. I find the process absolutely fascinating. I've always been a, a sort of a rural girl at, uh, at heart, not at all a city girl. And, you know, the first time I, uh, I hatched my own birds, it, it was just, uh, I thought, an absolute fabulous experience. And I was completely hooked. And I just like to share that with, with anybody I can, really. Nice. So did you start with Brinzi and then hatch birds? Or did you hatch birds 
That's right, yes. I, I'd never hatched any birds before I started with Brinzi, and uh, it's, you know, one of the requirements, in a sense, is if anybody who joins Brinzi at whatever level has to go through the experience of, you know, hatching their own their own birds. So I joined Brinzi back in, you know, October of, uh, of 94, and for Christmas, that was, that was my gift. I had my own chicks. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I have to tell you, when your firm reached out to me as this as a possibility to have you on our podcast, it's like, wow, hatching birds. I mean, I know that's where they come from, and I've kept birds here at the Urban Farm for over 20 years, but I've actually never hatched them. So it's got to be a fascinating process. It certainly is, certainly is. I mean, you, you can't beat that. And if you have, you know, any children in the family, it, it's absolutely awesome to see their reaction as well. But, you know, I still retain that, you know, that wow factor. You, I, I, I haven't lost it. I don't think you lose it. It's, uh, it can become addictive. <laughs> so what is Brinzio known for? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, we're the incubation specialist. That's uh, for the last, you know, 43 years. That's what we've focused on, you know, designing egg incubators and chick brooders and also, you know, the, the accessories that go with the process of incubation, like egg candlers, etc. And so, and, that, and that's what we focus on. I mean, it's, uh, you know, on the brooder side of things, there's obviously brooders for, for chickens and, you know, this kind of, you know, altricial birds. And then there's, there's other types of brooders for the exotics and parrots, which have completely different requirements because they're not mobile when they start. And so that's been our entry into the, the animal intensive care, you know, arena because these types of brooders can also be used, you know, for, for small mammals and, you know, rescue centers, not just for birds, but also for, you know, for small mammals. So, oh, yes, um, of course. So you've mentioned two words that I want to distinguish here. You mentioned brooder and you mentioned incubator can you tell us what the difference is between them and why we would need them yep um and sometimes they're sort of you know mixed up people refer to brooders as incubators you know probably because of the baby incubators you know Mm -hmm. but yes i mean strictly speaking an incubator is is a, a machine that you put the eggs in so that they hatch so, and once they've hatched, you would transfer the birds into a brooder so that they would be brooded, you know, like the mother hen would oh, brood, yes. the, uh-huh. you know, the chicks, keep them warm. And so these units are, you know, little um, heat plates, you know, I mean, you also have some, you know, some hanging lamps, but they're a bit more dangerous and I don't like them. But, but yes, there's various ways of keeping those hatched birds warm and those are referred to as brooders. Got it. So I'm on. I'm actually on your website, Brinsea, B-R-I-N-S-E-A dot com, on the front page. And you know, I really had no idea that you had incubators that hold what about six or eight eggs, all the way up to incubators that hold five hundred and eighty eggs. So I guess that's right. This could be for the home, but it could also be for business. So tell me about that. It is. It is. 
I mean, now, you know, bestseller is probably still, you know, our tabletop units. Yes, as you're right, starting with seven eggs with our mini incubators and then more recently introduced, probably about three years ago, uh, a larger brother that holds 14, you know, chicken eggs and then, you know, 28 and 56. I mean, these are more for, you know, for the hobbyists. Uh, backyard breeders, uh, then the the cabinet incubators, our larger cabinet incubators, you know, start from, you know, 100 eggs to 580 eggs. And yes, they're, you know, for, for the more serious breeder that's probably uh, selling selling their birds, you know, or, or maybe even some hatching eggs, but, uh, you know, and, and making a, a business of it rather than just pure enjoyment or, you know, or conservation. So why would I want to use an incubator rather than just leaving the eggs underneath the hen? Well, I won't lie, you know, a hen, if she is, you know, broody and will sit on the eggs without destroying them, she's still the best incubator. (laughs) So, but, you know, there are factors. I mean, some birds will not sit they will destroy their eggs, or there's also the factor of predation. There's a bunch of reasons why you, know, you would lose some eggs in the process <laughs> if you let it happen, you know, uh, naturally. Yeah. Well, and I've heard that we could even incubate eggs, and once they hatch at night, if you have a broody hen, put the chicks underneath the hen. Have you ever done anything like that? Yes. Yes, but you've got to do it indeed very quickly. And better if she has some eggs that, you know, are close to to hatching, because otherwise, uh, if if you time it wrongly, she has eggs that are halfway through incubation and you, you know, you introduce some chicks under her, she will abandon her nest because she says, oh, they've hatched and, you know, they're ready to go and she wants. So, yes, it can be done. It works pretty well if they're really you know, day one hatches, you know, just freshly hatched I and mean, obviously dried and fluffed up. Otherwise, they would chill and, and possibly die. But, uh, yeah, it can certainly be done. But you've got to get the timing right if she's got her own, you know, clutch that she's sitting on. Perfect. And what are the benefits of egg incubation? Well, I guess control. <laughs> oh, that's true. Um, you know. Yes, you've got you've got control over you know over the process. You can observe it, you know. Certainly, you know, candle the eggs, and uh, you know, hens don't take very kindly if you try, you know, sort of looking at the eggs. You know, sticking your hand in the nest is well, you know, at your own peril. Yeah. <laughs> they're pretty protective, but uh, yes, you can you can definitely uh, see what's going on inside the eggs, and uh, you know, and obviously you know watch the eggs hatch. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a fascinating process, that's for sure. Certainly is. So you mentioned candling, and I'm again, I'm on the front page of your website, and you have something called a egg scope. Is that the yep. sa- that's pretty much the same thing, is it not? Yes, yes. I mean, candling comes from you know when the ancient you know Egyptians and Chinese would use candles to you know see what was going on inside the egg, and the term has has remained. Basically, the process involves shining a bright light to do the large end of the uh, of the egg where the air sac is and then seeing what's uh, what's going on it it needs to be done preferably to have good visibility in a darkened uh, place and and our overscope you know sort of uh, because it encases the egg you know you can you can do it you know anywhere mm-hmm. it's this great aid for in classrooms when the teachers can project you know, um, oh, yes. to the whole classroom. But so, yes, basically, I mean, but an LED, you know, at home, an LED flashlight works 
you know, really well. Go go in a dark room in a cupboard, <laughs> wherever. Yeah. And yeah, it works real good. LEDs go, because they don't heat up, they don't warm up, you know, oh, the right. egg and, and and disturb the the embryo. And what's the importance of doing this? Well, you can you can see if the eggs are not developing or if they started developing and died. That's even worse because you know then if you leave them, you know, at a hundred degrees <laughs> or close to, you know, for three weeks, they're suddenly going to rot and oh, possibly, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, create a mess and contaminate the developing eggs. So basically, you want to, you know, starting day five, day seven, you want to you know, check on the progress and remove the eggs that are not doing anything and, you know, and, you know, candle them every, you know, two, three days and check on the process and those that are not, you know, that have quit, you, you certainly need to remove. Yeah. Well, and just for the sake of saying it, we are, we have to have fertile eggs to do this. Ah, <laughs> yes, we take this for granted, but yes, yes, you do have to have fertile eggs. And uh, yeah, so yeah, if you buy the, your eggs from most supermarkets, they're, they're, they're not going to hatch. <laughs> right. <laughs> These exactly. poor hens have never seen a rooster. <laughs> so let's get started. What, if I wanted to start incubating eggs and go through that process, uh, where do we start? Right. Well, obviously, as we mentioned, you know, fertile eggs are, are the first, you know, requirement. Then obviously you're going to need an incubator. And there's a, a lot of incubators, wide range of products, you know, ours, of course, but, you know, but many other brands available on the market. So you can find, a, you know, an incubator for around, you know, $100. Mm-hmm. You know, I would I would recommend an incubator with automatic turning. It certainly makes life easier. Um, oh, yes. There are some, you know, and eggs uh, need to be turned at a minimum um, three times a day. The more, the better. Automatically, they're usually turned every hour. You know, it, it certainly increases the chances mm-hmm. of, of a good hatch. And why are we turning them? Well, so that the air exchange, you know, so the embryo doesn't stick in the same position and, you know, they could stick to, to the shell membranes and, and also, you know, as you rotate the eggs, you know, it, it sort of, the air exchange happens better. Then it just moves the, you know, the contents of the egg. Kind of what the mom does. Pretty much, pretty much. Yes, yeah, she will. She will turn the eggs periodically. It's not on a set <laughs> set timer, but she will certainly, you know, stand up and move the eggs with her feet or her, you know, her beak. And, and she will also leave the nest for, you know, for small periods to, you know, to forage and uh, do what she needs to do. So when people get uh, very uptight about opening the incubator and sort of, you know, panicking that, you know, the eggs will cool very quickly if they, you know, when they candle them or if they need to replenish the water or, you know, and that's, uh, you know, that's really not an issue. Perfect. So I'm on your website and Mm because really you said you need fertile eggs and you need an incubator. It looks like you have, it's called a Mini 2 Advanced Fully Digital 7 Egg Incubator. That's probably a great place to start, right? It is. It is. It, it's an absolute winner. You know, we sell a lot of those to beginners, a lot of them to schools. Basically, it's it's as, you know, foolproof as you can make an incubator. Uh-huh. So it's, it's preset. It controls the temperature at 99.5, which is, you know, for most, for chicken eggs and, you know, turkeys, etc. That's That's the right temperature. Smaller eggs would need a slightly higher temperature, but, mm-hmm. you know, ducks and... 
yeah, chickens, 99.5. It rotates the eggs automatically every 45 minutes, actually. When the two days before the eggs are due to hatch, it will stop that turning automatically. So there's no... Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a countdown. So, you know, when you set your eggs, you know, for, for chickens, it's 21 days. So you, you would enter 21 days and it'll count down for that. And that day two, it'll stop so that, you know, the eggs don't carry on rotating for the last two days, which basically sort of disorients the chicks and, you know, would cause them to pip at the wrong end. And, and usually oh, yeah. they don't make it. Oh, yeah. Usually they don't make it. So... And obviously, there's a, a, a water reservoir which can be topped up from from the outside without having to, you know, to open the incubator. As mm-hmm. I say, during incubation, it's not so much of a problem opening the incubator. But at hatching time, you need to have very high humidity so that the membranes dry, don't dry out, and oh, the yes. chicks get trapped. So having that external, you know, water top up is 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 a great uh, help. And that's, so that's, that's pretty much it. You know, your job is to, you know, make sure that the water is topped up every, you know, two or three days, depending on, you know, ambient conditions. Mm-hmm. And uh, the incubator will do the rest. <laughs> nice. So is there a certain time of year that's better to hatch? Yes, I mean, springtime, obviously, because, you know, the, the availability of the eggs, I mean, that's, that's the time of year where, you know, when birds will lay eggs, they will lay in good quantity and, and the quality of those eggs is, is going to be better. It, hatching, you know, birds, when it gets too hot in the summer, They'll take a break, usually, especially here in Florida, it gets very hot, but yeah, other parts of the states as well. So they'll, they'll stop laying and sometimes they'll, you know, they'll resume in the fall. But in the winter, typically they will stop again because of the, the light levels falling and, and also the temperatures. I mean, they know it's not a good time to, you know, to lay some eggs and to try and hatch some chicks. So, yes, springtime is, is better, but eggs now are, you know, more readily available almost year-round. But if you don't have your own eggs and you're going to have eggs shipped from hatcheries, you know, the, the chances are, are, are reduced. You know, the hatch rates diminish, you know, they get jolted and they exposed to temperature differences in, mm-hmm. in shipping, etc. And so, you know, the hatch rates are not so great. But, but it's a good way of, you know, trying different breeds or, as I say, you know, getting your own flock started if you don't have, you know, a local source of, you know, of eggs or you want to try, you know, some more, some rarer breeds. So. Yeah. Well, I know here in Arizona we have a Facebook page for chickens in the desert, you know, so I'm sure that I'm sure that somebody could go go to you know go to Facebook and see if there are any groups in your area that are poultry groups, uh, and they may very well have eggs for you. Absolutely, yes, yes. I mean, you know, the feed and seed stores are great resources. Obviously, you know, companies like Tractor Supply or Ace Hardware, you know, have chick days as well. So yeah. you know, you can certainly have access to uh, you know to eggs. Yeah, I, I like uh, Western Ranchman is our place here in Phoenix that's uh, really good about that too. So we talked about having the incubator and managing mm-hmm. the incubator. Are there any other supplies that we need for successful hatching? Well, as I say, a candler, so it can be as simple as an LED flashlight or, you right. know, even your cell phone. Okay. <laughs> you know, so yes, that's it. And then once they've hatched, you will need, uh, you know, a means of keeping them warm. So 
it can be as you know cheap and basic as uh, you know an infrared brooder they are quite dangerous you know fire hazard you, you need to make sure that they're that they're very well secured that they can't you know they can't fall and you know they'll they'll start fires and sometimes mm-hmm. they, they can also be you can't control, you know, they, they give out a lot of heat, which is not necessarily very beneficial for the chick. So, but that's probably, you know, under 20 bucks, you, you, have, you have a way of keeping those chicks, you know, warm. If you want to spend a little more, there are some heat plates. Uh, there's Brinzy, but there's other brands as well. And there's certainly, I, I, would, I would recommend, you know, going there. A bit more expensive, you know, probably around the $50 mark. But there's certainly more, they're safer, and, and certainly a more natural approach. You know, the chicks adjust much better to, you know, the day-night cycle. There's not a bright light shining at them or even, a, you know, red glow day and night. It's, um, you know, they're not overheated, so you don't get the issues of, you know, what we refer to as the pasty bottoms. And that's usually caused by, you know, by overheating. So, you know, I, the, the, the heat plates are, are definitely a better way to go. But, you know, if you can't, you know, can't afford or, or lay your hands on, on one of those locally, then, you know, the infrareds are, will have to do. <laughs> and you have a line called Echo Glow? EcoGlow, yes, our brooders are called EcoGlow. We have three sizes, basically to match the sizes of our tabletop incubators. So, uh, you know, the smaller unit, the EcoGlow 600, is great for the, you know, the seven to, you know, ten eggs uh, for the min of the minis, and then, you know, the the 1200 is the intermediate size. That's great for, you know up to 25 chicks and then you know we've got the uh the 2000 which will hold up to 50 chicks wow and uh, basically what you're doing is you're keeping them warm like their their mom would that's right that's right i mean obviously as they grow and you know and grow their feathers uh, they're going to need the the heat of the brooder less and less i mean they they'll they'll grow pretty quickly i mean for the first first Two weeks, definitely. I mean, first week is absolutely crucial. And then as they grow up to three weeks to a month, depending on, you know, the outside condition, what season you're, you know, you're, you're hatching. But, you know, once they're fully feathered, they, they certainly don't, you know, I mean, A, they'll be too big to go under the brooder anymore. Right. And they won't really need it. So Perfect. So we talked about the process uh, a little bit, how long it takes, 21 days. Is there a development process that we should be aware of? The time, 21 days for chickens, I mean, to give you an idea, for ducks and turkeys and guineas, it's 28 days, you know, if you were to do pheasants or, you know, partridges, about 24, quail, 18. So typically, you know, the smaller the smaller the egg, the less time it takes to, to hatch. So, yes, initially, you won't be able to see anything in the egg, you know, if you candle the egg before you put it in the incubator. And that's a good idea also because, you know, if an egg is cracked, you you shouldn't set it in the incubate. Chances of it hatching are, are pretty remote, so don't want to waste you know time and space of the incubator on something that's not really likely to uh, to hatch. But if you candle you know that egg as you set it in the incubator, uh, you're not going to see anything. I mean, it'll look like a store bought egg, and that that'll be it. There are people who wish that we could see, you know, right at the beginning if a egg is, is fertile or not. That would uh, particularly, you know, the commercial hatcheries that would save them a lot of a lot of hassle. But so yes, as as you know, the days pass, the you know the embryo is is going to develop. So initially, around 
they, you know, depending on the shell, if the shell of the egg is very clear, you'll have very good visibility. Mm -hmm. And maybe from day three or four, you'd be able to see a little dot, you know, and that will be, and sometimes it's pulsating because the heart is there, obviously. So that's the first thing that you would see. And some veins, you know, uh, radiating from that, you know, from that dark spot, which is, you know, the em embryo. And then it'll grow, usually on the, just one side of the egg initially. So up until day seven, eight, a little bit more, uh, you'll see, you know, obviously the embryo is getting larger and you see more blood vessels, but it's still very much located on one side of the egg. And then, you know, by, by day 14, 15, usually, you know, the the blood vessels have, have gone right around, you know, the egg and, and the embryo is more sinking into into the egg and, you know, taking more and more space, obviously. By, and then it gets harder and harder to, when you candle the eggs, to really see any good definition like you were able to you know in the in the early days it's getting darker but you'll definitely see a lot of movement they don't like a bright light being shined at them so they'll <laughs> right. twitch and try to move away and that's a good sign that that they're you know that they're doing well if they're not then you the definition of those blood vessels would you know become more blurry and as they would disintegrate and you know if you if you see a sort of a, a slushing mass inside your egg then yeah you 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 can toss that one out it's not yeah. uh, it's not doing it started but unfortunately for whatever reason it it quit and you you shouldn't leave it in in there and you should dispose of that in a very nose-sensitive way because they'd be very smelly, right, if you broke it open? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. If you leave it too long, definitely, yes. And how do I know we're, we're done? Your first cue is going to be that you're going to see a little break through the shelf. That's really exciting. <laughs> and, uh, yes, I mean, if you really haven't done so by then, you know, you should definitely stop the turning and, you know, so... But uh, yeah, ideally you would have stopped the turning a couple of days before before that happens. I mean, sometimes, you know, if you're candling the eggs right up to day sort of, you know, 18, 19, what you would see is actually the beak of the, of the oh, chick yes. uh, that has poked into the air sac. And that would be, you know, your cue if you're, you know, if you're candling that, uh, you know, they are really getting ready to hatch. Excellent. So... All of a sudden, we're, you know, getting chicks hatching. They're breaking out of the shell. Uh, what happens next? Well, that takes longer. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, visibly people get very frustrated because, you know, there's, you know, that first break through the shell and then, you know, for 24 hours or so, nothing else happens. And, you know, that's the most common call that we get at that stage is, what's going on, you know, they're not hatching. And, you know, there's a lot of things that need to happen. Basically, you know, the, the blood circulation and the breathing needs to become internal instead of going through the, you know, the egg membranes. It needs to, you know, the chick needs to start breathing, you know, through its own lungs. Uh, and that's the first thing that happens when they break through the air sac and, and then through the outside. 
but also the blood circulation, uh, as I say, needs to go fully internal before they can they can go. And so that's what happened, you know, for those 24 hours when visibly to us from the outside nothing is is happening. And then they'll start cranking around the uh, you know the shell, and make their way all the way around, and then in a final push, you know, they'll sort of burst out of it completely wet and exhausted and they've made it and then they'll rest because that was hard work. Yeah. So did I hear you correctly? Did you say that they'll crack the shell mm-hmm. and then yep. not finish the job for maybe 24 hours or so? Well, you'll see between that first pip, that's what we call it, pipping, you know, that first little break through the shell until they start, you know, cranking around the the shell to break out. That's when that 24-hour or a little bit more happens. Yes, yes. So once they start, you know, moving around and chipping at the shell, that happens relatively quickly. Within, you know, a few hours, they're, they're out. But it's from that first tip until they start, you know, cranking around. That's That's what takes, you know, time. And that's when, you know... People get concerned and uh, and impatient. (laughs) Excellent. All right, cool. Now they hatched. They're laying there because they're exhausted. Uh, We need to make sure that they have some source of heat brooder. Any other aftercare instructions? Well, I mean, really, the main thing is once they've hatched, before you take them out of the incubator, they need to be dry and fluffy. Otherwise, they will chill. So, you know, they're fine. They've, the last thing that they've done is absorb the uh, yolk sac. So they don't need any any food or water, you know, for up to 48 hours. That's when the hatcheries, you know, ship them. So, you know, that that and that's why they ship them at that stage. So they're fine to be in the incubator. It can look a little cramped, but, you know, they're, they're perfectly fine. And until they're dry and fluffy, you should leave them there and then, you know, put them under the brooder and uh, and monitor their behavior, really. I mean, they'll tell you if, you know, if they're all huddled in a, in a group and shivering, they are clearly cold, so you oh, need yes. to do something about it. On the other hand, if they're sort of all spread out and away from the heat source, then, you know, they're overheating. You know, sometimes you'll see them panting as well if you've mm-hmm. got it really wrong. So the water, and, and, and obviously once they're transferred to the brooder, you know, they, they will need, you know, water and, uh, you know, chick starter feed. And those should be not placed under, if you're using a, you know, a, a heat lamp, the food and water should not be placed under the heat lamp. They should be, you know, at the other end of the, you know, of the brooder enclosure, you know, the plastic crate that you're using. And plastic crates are, you know, very convenient, can be easily cleaned because they do make a mess. <laughs> you know, obviously with, you know, uh, wood chips, you know, at the bottom, they certainly need a surface that's not slippery. Yes. Uh, otherwise, they would develop splayed legs which obviously is not uh, not 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 a good outcome so perfect any other takeaways for home incubator first timers be patient and don't panic <laughs> i think we have a you know first timers tend to be you know very nervous and trying mm-hmm. to overthink overthink everything um so yeah t- 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 take it easy you know whichever incubator Read the user manual. It's key. You know, each incubator is different. Each brand is different, you know, as far as the recommendations of, you know, not so much the 
temperature settings because you know that's that's very common but depending on the airflow in the incubator and you know the the way the water pans are designed you know each you know incubator or manufacturer has different recommendations to achieve you know the right level of humidity which for incubation is around you know 45% uh, humidity so different ways of achieving that but read the user manual just set up the incubator get familiar with it before you embark on the process before you get your eggs you never know something could be going wrong and then uh just just enjoy it (laughs) enjoy the process where can people find your products at on our website, brinzy.com, but uh, they can find us on, you know, Amazon. Uh, there's a bunch of, you know, other distributors, you know, online and offline that, you know, carry our products. You know, Tractor Supply Company as well is one of them. So yes, they can be, uh, they can, they can do their uh, their research and find out which model is gonna is gonna work better for them. Perfect. So that's Brinsea, B-R-I-N-S-E-A dot com. That's correct. Cool. And what kind of, before we started recording, you started telling me all of the incredible resources that you have on your website. Tell me about them. Yes. So we have um, in a section under customer service incubation advice, we have our incubation handbook. That's probably the main resource and, and absolutely great for first-timers. It's a, it's a PDF document that uh, you can download and print. It's about 25 pages, and it covers all aspects and, you know, has troubleshooting tips of, you know, what, you know, things are going wrong. Um, you know, it, it's a brilliant start. But we also have, you know, other articles about, you know, how to store and handle the eggs before you set them in an incubator if you have to, you know, store them for a few days before you set them. You know, humidity in incubation, which can be tricky and is often misunderstood. So that's another great article about candling and obviously afterwards about caring for, for the chicks. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> oh, there's an amazing amount of stuff there. So thank you for that. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. Earlier, I mean, I, I will keep this related to you know to hatching and my own experience with you know hatching, and that probably that's one of the first times that I hatched, not the absolute first time, but but one uh, very soon after, where I went, I, I just was so very impatient, uh, and you know we were talking about you know the hatching right at the end, the hatching process when they pip and and then nothing happens. This particular chick had been, you know, stuck there to me for more than 24 hours and others were, you know, starting to crank around and some had hatched. And I thought, well, clearly there's something wrong with this guy. I could still hear it. It was, you know, still sort of breathing, etc. And I thought, well, he's stuck. I'm going to help him a bit. And I did, and I did, but clearly I was a bit premature because my intervention certainly didn't help. And unfortunately, that little guy died. And that's where I learned that even with the best intentions, you can certainly do harm. And if I'd left him, uh, he would probably, you know, had made it in its own time and survived. So I felt really bad about that and certainly have learned that lesson the hard way. Be patient. Be patient, yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? 
sharing this passion, which has become a passion for, for this process and, you know, helping people understand, you know, what it involves and, you know, and uh, basically um, helping them along the way as, as much as I can. And, you know, a lot of the time people get really, really hooked on it. Yeah. <laughs> And and also, you know, sort of pass on that that knowledge and that you know that first experience, and uh, and and that's very rewarding to me. Yeah, well, and I'll bet that you get a lot of input from people that you help. I know I do Absolutely. in this podcast. Yeah, and that's that's really the bonus for me. How about you? Absolutely, yes. No, I mean, you know, creating a community around, you know, obviously a shared interest you know, and, and tips, you know, I mean, obviously we use our own incubators, but, you know, our customers only use them, you know, more than we do. And, you know, we always welcome, you know, feedback, uh, negative or positive. We're, we're always, you know, trying to improve, you know, our products and uh, see what works and doesn't work, you know, in the field. So, you know, we, we have our own perspective, but certainly, you know, welcome, you know, anybody else's experience with it. Yeah. And what drives you? Well, that exactly. I mean, just designing, you know, better products, just listening to, you know, what people want and, and being able to deliver, uh, deliver exactly that. You know, products that are going to be, you know, so easy to use that, you know, a, a child can, can use it, you know, for age, etc. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, this, this passion, you know, starts, you know, very young in some, you know, some people, and we certainly need to, you know, to encourage it. Yay. And one book for our listeners? Well, I mean, I already mentioned our incubation handbook, so that's great. But we also have a a book called Nest Birds and Incubators, which we co-authored with a PhD holder in, in England. And basically, our aim was to bridge the gap between, you know, the research that's done at university level and and how that can be. There's a lot of useful information that comes out of it, but, you know, they sort of operate in their own, in their own little bubble <laughs> and, you know, use language that's not so easy. There's a lot of statistics. There's a lot of, so, you know, and it's not very accessible to, you know, to, to anybody. And, you know, being able to translate those findings into something that would be useful to, you know, a, a backyard, you know, breeder was, you know, was certainly a very rewarding, you know, experience. I mean, it, it, obviously, writing a book is an undertaking. Oh, yes, that <laughs> um, is. <laughs> and and but but you know sharing again you know sharing that that information that you know that side there and sort of bridging the gap between you know the research and you know and the breeders which which is not done very often so. right and who's the author of that book it's uh, Charles Deeming uh, D C Deeming D E E M I N G and co-authored with by uh, by Brinsey. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I did just look at for it on Amazon. It's pretty much not available on Amazon. You have to go to your website, Brinsia.com. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I would say never, ever give up. That is, yeah. it's classic and it's always appropriate. Always appropriate. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Pascal. Oh, you're most welcome. My pleasure. So how can our listeners find out more about Brinzia? 
Well, obviously, our website is probably the best resource, uh, brinzy.com. They'll find out about our products, but also, you know, all the resources that, uh, you know, they can use to make their uh, incubation and hatching experience a success. And they can always, you know, reach out to us by, by phone or email. We're here to help. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Brinzia. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, Hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago. Then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's denalicanning.com forward slash free.